0: was saying happy new year for like 30 years. Go hey Fat Choi, happy new year. Like, oh of course. No, it means like, what does it mean, Anora? Oh, like, let's get rich. Really? Congratulations, <laughs> let's <laughs> get rich. Yeah, you can preach today, I think. I think <laughs> God has a lot to say about that greeting, I think. So we say, go, hey, fat choy, let's get rich instead of Happy New Year. Um but, <laughs> I'm not sure where to go from that, but um, I think for, for the most part, uh, this, this is, it feels like a new year. It does, doesn't it feel like a new year? Let me turn this down a little bit. Um, it feels like a new year for me. It feels, I think it might feel like a new year for our church as well, as uh, we're going through a transition. Last week, we got to say goodbye to our beloved Pastor Chris, who is in Lebanon and Ukraine right now. So please keep him in your prayers. Um, we, we know that God has great things in store for him, but we also want to make sure that he gets to live through those things as well. And we know that the world is a dangerous place. So if you ever have a spare, spare moment, pray for him. Keep, ask God to protect him and keep him safe. Um, it's, been a, it's been an interesting season of transition for me as well. Actually, since my son was born last uh, almost a year and a half ago, I've never gotten sick And if you knew me before then, I was pretty much, I would get sick pretty regularly, like about every other month or so. And then people were like, oh, watch out. (laughs) Once you have a kid, you're not going to sleep and you're just going to die. So everyone thought I was going to die. But God was like, no, he's not going to die. I'm going to protect him. And I haven't gotten sick for the past year and a half until this week when my own son also got sick. And then I got sick, and then my wife also got sick. And so that's why she's not here. That's why he's not here today. Um, and that's why I sound like this. Um, but so we said goodbye to Pastor Chris. We said goodbye to my health. This, <laughs> it's a season of transition. But when I was meditating on all this stuff, I'm like, man, I, can't, I got sick at the worst possible time when everything is just depending on me at this moment. God had to correct me. It's like, it's never been about you. You're never depending on yourself. God, he was asking if I still trust him in all of this. Like, take away Pastor Chris and his awesome teaching and presence and just spiritual power. Take away this health that I've been blessed with for the past year and a half. Is that enough? Do you still trust me? That's what God was asking. And um, actually, last week, I, I got to sing a song um, during communion that I really love. It's my favorite song, actually, that, that's come out in the past couple of years. It's called Into Faith I Go. It's like a really strange song because it's not really singable. There's no like melody to it at all, and it just kind of sing- goes wherever. But um, there's a line and, um, in that song that says, faith is not some fragile thing that shatters when we walk through something hard. So we walk on whatever may come. Faith is not some fragile thing that shatters when we walk through something hard. So we walk on whatever may come. When my son was born, that song was just on repeat in our hospital room. And it it just blessed us so much. Because we're going into a great unknown season of our life. Having a kid for the first time, there's nothing that can prepare you for that. And I feel like in this season, in this new year, our church, we're going into a season of unknown as well. Nothing can really prepare us for that. But... We go in faith. We walk on whatever may come. And so in this season of transition, we walk, we walk, we walk. We walk in the memory of what Pastor Albert has taught us. We walk in the the power of what Pastor Chris has left us with. But ultimately, we will remain deeply rooted, deeply rooted in Christ, deeply rooted in prayer, deeply rooted on mission. And today, we're going to talk about what it means to be deeply rooted in family. In family, And what Pastor Chris has done in the past couple weeks is kind of bring up barriers to what it means to be deeply rooted. What prevents us from being deeply rooted in prayer? What prevents us from being deeply rooted on mission? And today we're going to talk a little bit about what prevents us from being deeply rooted in family. And it's really obvious. It really is. Let's, let's look at the verse for today. John chapter 13. You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13 as well. We're going to be jumping around, but this is our main verse for today. A new command I give you. This is the word of Jesus. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray. God, we need you. There's nothing else we can say except we need you. We're reminded of that this morning, God, as Joanna poured out her heart to us. God, every single breath that we take in and breathe out is from you. Every moment that we have is a gift. And so, God, in this time, in this moment, God, we declare of our need of you. We ask that you would move in this place, that you would speak, that the word would come alive to us because, God, we need you. And so, God, use me, cleanse me, purify me. May I be your mouthpiece this morning and give us all clean hands and a pure heart, open minds and hearts, God, that we would be good soil for your word to take root. Christ in my prayer. Amen. Amen. So a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so the main point for this morning is, We have to, as the people of God, as our church family, we have to make an effort to be deeply rooted in family. And the barrier oftentimes is we don't feel, first, we don't think we need family. Sometimes we don't think we need family. But here's the truth. We aren't meant to do life alone. We aren't meant to do life alone. We aren't meant to walk alone. We aren't meant to go through life by ourselves. We are called to be in a church family. But the thing is, Something I've just been noticing more and more and more, our society lives increasingly isolated lives. We're very connected. You know, we see what we're eating all the time. Everyone's eating great food all the time. Everyone's always on vacation somehow. Um, But we aren't living life together. Maybe it's just the fact of me observing this because I'm getting older and busier. But oftentimes I let my convenience dictate my relationships. I don't know if you feel that way too. Um, I grew up mostly in the Bay Area and I feel like it's, it's gotten a little bit harder to get around the Bay Area. Like it takes a little bit longer to get to places. And I know this because I live pretty far from here. I live in Dublin and sometimes it can take over like two hours to get from Dublin to San Jose. It's like 30 miles or something like that. So I'm like, ah, oh, do I really want to see this person? I weigh the cons, I'm like, let me check, uh, I have Google Maps, so I open Google Maps, I put the address in, like, oh, all red. Two hours, uh, maybe I'll just stay home. I don't know if you guys are like that, but my, sometimes I let my convenience dictate my relationships. Um, I, but there's more than that. I think sometimes we, we lock ourselves in because of fear and anxiety. I know I said Gong Hei Fat Choi, I thought I was saying Happy New Year, but um, during this Chinese New Year, what, what's the big news story? Virus. There's a virus, did you know that? There's a virus. Oh, watch out, there's a virus. So you know, Lunar New Year, this uh, Chinese New Year is a time where you're supposed to go and travel to meet, be with your family and friends. You know, you make this trip once every year, but what happens now, don't go. Because if you go, you're gonna die. That's the new story, right? Fear and anxiety are on the rise. And you know what? There's an app for that. If you don't wanna go out, you can order your food. If you run out of clothes, you can just get your clothes delivered. If you don't wanna get gas for your car, you can get gas delivered to your car. Um, We can basically never interact with people anymore these days, if you have your phone, right? You don't need to see people. But the thing is, even though our society is increasingly heading in one direction, there's a deep unhappiness that is taking over our country and our society, right? Why? Because of this truth. We aren't meant to do life alone. Even if we don't think we need anyone, even if we don't think that we want to be in relationship with people, we aren't meant to do life alone. And, you know, it goes against our wiring to not see people. It really does. You can get stir crazy or cabin fever when you spend too much time alone by yourselves. And I'm talking to people who might be like having kids for the first time. Um, I know I went cabin fever. Uh, the first in Chinese tradition, I think uh, you're supposed to spend the first hundred days where you're just isolated. <laughs> And I think each generation has become more and more cabin fever, stir crazy, so that it's like, no, I can't. I have to go outside, breathe some air, see some people. Why? Because it goes against our wiring to shut ourselves away from people. God has created us to need each other. To need each other. And why? Because um, God Himself exists in community. Uh, the, The biggest illustration of community that I could think of is actually found in the Trinity. The triune nature of our God. God is God the Father. God is God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit living in what? Living in community with one another. Why does God exist in a triune nature? I can't really give you an answer. There's a huge mystery about that. But there is truth that we can glean from this. The truth is what? That God lives in community. And if we are created in the image of God, you are created in the image of God. You were created for community. There's mystery in all of this, but yes, we were created for it. And so we are called to be specifically in a church family. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Guys, we are a family here. We are created for this. And you know what? There's really nothing like the family of God. There's nothing like the body of Christ when it's working properly. And it's actually why I'm standing here before you I wouldn't be here, standing here, if I didn't really 100% fully believe that there's nothing like God's family. And um, you guys might have heard me tell this story before, but when I was in college, I was pre-med. And, uh, you know, I was doing all the things, taking all the classes, trying to do all the things. So I went on a medical missions to Nicaragua. And I was like, this is going to look great on my resume. You know, I'm going to, it's going to be like, ooh. The, the med school's gonna see this and they'll be like, oh wow, this guy's great, a great applicant. I went to Nicaragua and uh, guess what happened? I got sick in Nicaragua. <laughs> so I was on this trip, I got sick and then I was just sitting there in bed. And I'm like, I flew all the way here to try to help people and to you know pad, pad my resume. But what I found was when we were doing all these clinics, we were meeting in different churches in Nicaragua, in different villages. And it was there that God spoke to me. You know, you're only going to be there for like a week and your motivation was completely wrong. But these churches are there ministering to these people in need. And there's power in the faithful representation of the local church. And ever, ever since that moment, it just clicked. I'm like, oh, why am, I, why am I going down this path when there's nothing more powerful, more life-giving, more healing than the local church? So I'm talking about being deeply rooted in family because we aren't meant to do life alone. So what does it look like to not do life alone? It means that we love one another, right? A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it's... It's the truth, but it's also, it contains a hard truth in it as well. Because it's not complicated, what Jesus is commanding his disciples, to love one another. It's not complicated, but it's so hard. But the truth is, if we claim to love God, we have to love the people of God. And the truth is, loving people is really hard. It is so hard to love people. Why? Because of sin. Because of brokenness. Sin destroys our relationship with God and with each other and even with ourselves, our own identity. Sin destroys that as well. And God is so holy that sin cannot coexist with God. And so sin breaks down our relationship with God. And sin breaks down our relationship with other people. And sin also breaks down our own identity. But also people are just kind of difficult, right? Um, People are hard to love. And especially when you get closer to them, you inevitably get more into the mess of each other's lives. Actually, even on the road, people are hard to love. I was um, driving in the rain with my whole family, and, um, you know, Zach was in this car seat, and I was just driving, and I was like, okay. I, I, I drove in, like, weather before, you know. I'm not only from California. I know what weather is. I can drive confidently in the rain. And so I go into the, I'm on the highway. I'm on 680 going north, and uh, I go into the, the leftmost lane because I'm like, I can speed. I'm very confident in my own driving abilities. And right when I go into that lane, all of a sudden, like, I see um, this gi- giant pickup truck behind me. I don't know if you have that, had this experience where someone in a pickup truck just tries to like, tailgate you. Um, and so what happens? This guy tailgates me, and then he puts on his um, high beams and starts to high beam me. I'm like, what's going on? And so finally, he cuts me off really closely. He, like, almost sideswipes me. I'm like, what the heck? This is so mean. So what do I do? I'm a pastor, right? I pray for him. No! I did not pray. In fact, what did I do? This is, like, my least proud moment of the last year. I wish I beeped. I high-beamed him back. I did not turn the other cheek. I did not love my enemy. I stooped to his level. And I, it's 100% a guy, for sure. But um, I stooped to his level, high beamed him back. What did the guy do in response? No, 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 no. He just drove on because he's a cool guy. No. He actually broke. He broke really hard. I was like, oh, gosh, let me swerve. And then he followed me into the next lane. I was like, oh, gosh, let me go to the next lane. And he followed me, and he blocked me off from the next lane. I was like, okay, I'm dealing with a crazy person here. And so... I just slowed down, and then I just drove off. After that, I was like, "Why are people so difficult?" Was that one of you guys? Anyone here own a pickup truck? <laughs> I know like zero percent of our church owns a pickup truck, but um, David, David Liu, yeah, David Liu. No, <laughs> no the um, that was a little. It was a. Little, this was like a massive pickup truck. So um, be on the watch for this. <laughs> My point is people are difficult. And you know what? I was being difficult too. I was being difficult. I high-beamed back. Can you believe that? I had prayed to God so hard from that one incident. I was like, God, why did I do that? Why did I have to let my flesh act out? Or to use a normal normal person, talk, why did I be so dumb? You know? Why did I act like that? Why? Because we all are capable of it. We all are. All the people we meet, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine, and they were like, I like to believe people are good. I was like, okay, have you met me? (laughs) I've just seen too much. People are difficult, and people are just hard to love. And it's not just people on the road. It's people that we actually love that are hard to love. The people in our families are hard to love. The people, our kids They're cute. They're also hard to love sometimes, right? But here's the thing. If we look and read this this passage, there's a funny word. It's command. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. We are commanded by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to love one another. It's not a new example I set forth for you. It's not, I have loved you, so you should probably think about loving each other. It's a new command I give you to love one another. And you know what? This, if we read this verse, loving each other is a major part of God's plan to reach the world. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It seems like a foolproof plan, right? because it's so easy to love each other. If anyone who has ever... I'm I'm kidding there. If anyone who has ever tried to love, it's incredibly hard to love others. And here's the thing. When we make love a command, here's the problem, and here's what I want to talk about. There's a way to legalistically follow this command and love each other, and there's a way to genuinely try to love each other. There's a way that's like, I'm going to just pay lip service, put on a happy face, act like everything's okay and just say, I'm here at church, you know, I'm here at life group and I'm trying to love because God told me to. <laughs> because it's the right thing to do. But there's another way that we love that is genuine. And how do we get to that genuine love as opposed to being stuck on this, oh, God told me to love so I'm going to love. The only way we get to that genuine love is this. We must first experience the transforming love of God before we can truly love others. We have to first be loved by God in order to love each other. We have to first be loved in order to show love. And we're going to look at, um, so this is John chapter 13, verse 34. We're going to look at the, the first part of John chapter 13 here. You can turn in your Bibles with me. Turn in your Bibles. John chapter 13 says this. This is the context for that command. This is the major... We're reading it in context here. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. John chapter 13. We have to first be loved by God if we are to love others. Now, this is a story and the recounting of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And a little bit about washing feet here. Um, Washing feet was, is really, the concept is not common today. Um, you, you never go into some place and they wash your feet for you anymore. Um, but it was really common back in the biblical time. Um, it was common for slaves and servants to wash people's feet. But it was also an act that someone who was not a slave and someone who was not a servant, someone, it was an act that someone who was trying to show a deep sense of devotion or deep love to the other person So, for example, there's a a Jewish story of of a a romance story, a Jewish romance story back in this time um, where the wife and the husband were so, so much in love with one another that the wife said, the servant shall not wash your feet anymore. I will be the one to wash your feet. And it's like this, like this, aw, like it's like an act of love, that type of thing. And so it's not, Jesus is not the first person to go and stoop down beneath their status to wash another person's feet, but this idea of foot washing is really foreign to us today because we don't do that anymore. We, we have shoes and socks and we don't, our feet, we don't walk anywhere. We drive and so it's not like something that's necessary for us. So to bring it into our, t- like our context today, washing feet is like cleaning your kitchen. All right? It's like cleaning and washing your dishes. All right? Think about that. It's like washing your dishes, or it, the more, like, perhaps deeper, more shameful um, illustration is it's like cleaning your toilet or your bathroom, right? It's something that we, we're more familiar with, right? You've washed dishes before. You've cleaned bathrooms before, so you kind of understand. This is a thing, like, oh, if someone really loves you, what are they going to do? They're going to do your dishes. You're like, oh, that's so nice. Like husband and wife, you, all, you like, love to clean the toilet for one another, Right? That was a, a laugh of truth, right? A laugh of truth. Like, ah, oh, I just did that, and I'm so happy. You know? <laughs> or you, you, clean, you clean the bathroom. You know, like it's always clean and spotless because you love each other so much. <laughs> I'm looking at some couples here like, yeah, I did it. No, you didn't. You didn't do it. Um, <laughs> so now, now let, let's, let's, let's play this in our heads. Think of someone you greatly respect, maybe someone named Mark or Elon, or Jeff, or Donald, or whatever. Um, think of someone you, th- you greatly respect, and now picture them in your kitchen doing your dishes. Picture them in your bathroom cleaning your toilet. That's what Simon Peter's going through. No, 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 no. You are my Lord. You are my master. You're my teacher. You shall never do this for me, because I'm your, I'm your student. How could you do that? You know? I don't know who popped into your head. Maybe it was your mom. You're like, oh, no, mom, you can't do it. Oh. That is what it. That's the context that we're facing here. So you can try to, and some churches do this, they try to implement feet washing into their services, and it's good because it's, it's a really powerful thing. We did that actually in, in City Impact. There's a feet washing ministry. Um, I did that. I, I've, it's like one of my lasting memories of my college fellowship experiences That my class, um, when we were graduating, we held our own, like, large group. We called it large group service. And we washed the feet of all of the leaders of each other class as a way to, like, serve them for one last time. And it was, like, a really powerful way to, like, show our love and our sacrifice for, for people. But it's kind of besides the point here. Because what Jesus is talking about is not so much that the disciples are now going to be washing everyone's feet wherever they go, literally. But the point that Jesus is making here is that he has to be the one to wash their feet first and to let the disciples, let, the disciples have to let Jesus wash their feet. The command is not just to wash others. The command is to allow Jesus to love you. We must first be washed by Christ, to let him love us. But the thing is, we are often like Simon Peter. We have too much pride to let Christ love us. Even in our most shameful, most deep pains, we have too much pride and we are the barrier. We don't want God to love us. We don't want God's love. And you know what? There's a way to do church. There's a way to do Sundays in a way that we don't need God's love, in a way where we don't need God to show up And it's to program God out of church. It's the opposite of actually what God intended the church to be, which is a place where we just declare our need of him. It's a place where we remind ourselves of who God is, and we come together and receive from God alone. But so often churches are really like, how can we just get people in? We just need to entertain people. We need to just have all these programs and all these activities. There's a way that we can program God right out of his church. But what I've learned is we have to prioritize people over the programs of church. And the programs that we do, these Sunday worship services, all they do is serve to bring us into God's presence. That's all they do. And so let me go back a little bit to this idea of God commanding us to love, God commanding us to love. And I feel like we read that on the surface, that was really unfair, right? Because it's, I feel like everyone agrees it's physically impossible to command someone to love something they don't love, right? Spouses, am I right? <laughs> After like twenty years of marriage, you're like, I really don't love this about you, but I'm gonna love you anyways, right? You can't you can't command someone to love something that they don't want to love. So what's the deal with this command? What's the deal? Here, John chapter fourteen, the next chapter says this. Jesus saying this, if you love me, keep my commands. So there's this connection between loving God, loving Christ. And, what? Obedience in keeping his commands. Further, John chapter 15. As my Father has loved me, Jesus is talking here, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Again, the connection. Just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. Are you seeing this? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete Now what is this? My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And sometimes we're like, God's so so unfair. He just is a rule book. He just wants me to obey, obey, obey. Just do what he commands and that's it. But we miss the fact that this command is in the context of love. Jesus Christ and the Father there's no more perfect love between two things, Jesus and the Father, right? The Son and the Father. And so what? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in His love. So not only do we love God by keeping His commands, but Christ loves God by keeping the Father's commands as well. All right? So it's not just... An unfair thing where God's like, you will obey me, you will love me, love me, I order you. No, this is the way that God relates to himself in perfect community, all right? Christ loves the Father, the Father loves Christ, and so what? Christ obeys the Father's commands to remain in love. And so, we, if we want to be with God, we we, we will obey his commands. And the greatest command in context and in Jesus' teaching is what? What is it? To love each other. To love each other. I can't, I've never seen this until this week in, in Scripture. I always thought, oh, we have to keep the commands of God. And you get a very pharisaical view of it. Like, these are the commands of God. And these are all the other commands of God. And I have to do all of these things so that I will remain in God's love and be clean and be holy. But the only command mentioned here when God is saying, keep my commands, is to love each other. And so what is God saying? What is he saying here? If you love me, love one another. If you really love me, love each other. That's the command. If you want to love me, you have to love the person next to you. That's what God's saying. And that's incredibly hard. And God knows that, right? He knows that. That's why he sent his son as the example of what it looks like. That's the example. What did Christ do? He washed his disciples' feet. He laid down his life for his friends. And so what do we do? We wash each other's feet. We lay down our lives for our friends. We bear each other's burdens. I might need to backtrack a bit, a little bit, because when we talk about bearing each other's burdens, we also have to bear with one another. But again, the Bible is, is so truth, it's so much truth. It doesn't gloss over the fact that this is hard. In fact, I always I remind my um, life group of this all the time. If we, if, if we were meant to live perfect lives after we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there'd be no need for any of the Bible to exist. Like, like none of that is necessary if we were going to live and love perfectly. It's hard. It takes effort. It takes work. Um, But it's the way that we are meant to witness to the rest of the world about the love of God. Because in a world that's increasingly fearful, in a world that's increasingly anxious, in a world that's increasingly outraged, we, the family of God, have to be a city on a hill, shining God's light that attracts people with love, not by beating people up over their failure. We lay down our lives, we wash each other's feet, and we bear each other's burdens. As a family, our center is Christ, not friendship or common culture. We're not just trying to build community here. We're not just trying to give you friends here because any attempt at just building friendship as a church will fail. We are trying to live on mission together, to live for God, and we will find brothers and sisters who are also on mission as we walk with God together. Our motivation is Christ, not religious activity. We're not going to just do things to fill up our time on Sundays or during our weeks, or just do a retreat because that's what we've been doing. We do things because of Christ. Why do we sing together every single Sunday? Well, it's obviously biblical. you find singing is all throughout the scriptures, but it also draws our attention to Christ, the person of Christ, and the love and the work of Christ on the cross and is our collective family offering to God together each and every week. And our victory is in Christ, not in influence, not in power. We know we're victorious, not when our church grows, not when we have more followers. We're victorious because of Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And so as a family, we need to make an effort to be deeply rooted. To be deeply rooted in each other, to be deeply rooted in this family. And here's a, here's something: the gospel isn't against effort. All right, it isn't against effort. It, it the gospel is just against earning. You can't earn your salvation. But once you're saved, it doesn't mean that you just sit back and just let God do whatever and just let, let become a consumer and just say, God, I need this. God, I need this. The gospel isn't against effort, guys. It takes a lot of work. We can't earn the love and the grace and forgiveness of God, but we don't just become a passive consumer. And why? Doing life together takes effort, incredible effort and incredible sacrifice. Putting others' needs before your own, spending time doing things that don't fit neatly into your schedule. These are just little things. What about moving someplace, uprooting your family, going somewhere else because God has called you to minister to this people group? What about saying no to a promotion because you need to spend more time doing the things that God has called you to do? About saying no to this person that you like because God has something different for you? Bearing each other's burdens, what greater act of love is there than Christ on the cross? He bore our burden of sin, of shame, of death, and brokenness, and now we, as a family, take up our cross. We bear the burdens of those around us so that they too can have a new life. And so here, I want to leave us with this. As a family, to be deeply rooted in our family, we love God, we love others, and we have to be loved by God. And actually, it's kind kind of backwards. First, we are loved by God. So we love God by loving others. All right? When we recognize that, we can have a genuine love. A genuine love, not just this legalistic type of love. A genuine love where we truly, the world can know that we are God's disciples. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you, you sent your son, Jesus Christ. You sent him to die because you loved us. And God, I don't know how many times I've thought about that, how many times I take that for granted, but God, may that truth, may that love penetrate so deep into my soul, into our soul here, that we can never be the same. So God, I pray right now for all the relationships represented in this room. God, I know that there might be some drama. There might be some pain. There might be some hardship. There might be some baggage, God. That we are not a perfect family, but God, we are a gospel-centered family, living on mission for you. And so God, I pray that you would help us to bear each other's burdens, to put each other ahead of our own interests, and to truly love each other because you have loved us first. And so, God, for every single relationship represented here, God, I pray your peace and your love over that, for your grace to season our words and our thoughts and our actions so that, God, when people look at us, they don't just see a group of people, but that they see something different, that they see you. Christ in my prayer. Amen.